we are studying the topic of friendship and uh, we've been at this a number of weeks now looking at what God's wisdom has to say about what friendship is, what it is for. And right now we're studying how to build a friendship. What are the building blocks of friendship? What are the materials that we use to build friendship with? We have uh, seen something of the importance of this issue. A godly, wise friendship is not just a nice add-on to your life as a Christian. It is a, a key and core part of living a godly life with others uh, and walking with them. And so uh, we have seen something of the importance of this issue. And what we keep coming back to is the fact that we need, in order to build our friendships wisely, we need our character as individuals to change. Uh, what we keep coming back to is that friendship is about what we love. We gather people around us because of shared loves with them, whether that's a, a love of a sports team or a love of politics or some activity, whatever it may be, we gather people around us based on shared loves. And so, biblically, from the point of view of Solomon, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he is saying to us, if you want godly friendships, if you want wisdom in your friendships and relationships, you have to look at what you love. Because that determines and, and directs the people you draw to yourself and what you are building with those people. So our objective here is to begin building friendships around the, the shared love of the things of God. That we would be so devoted and passionate about the kingdom of God, His wisdom, His righteousness, His goodness that we would gather people into our lives around those shared loves and build on those foundations. So we're asking very basic questions here. What sort of character does it take to find and build fast friends? The friends who will stick over the long haul. We're not talking about uh, the kind of quick friendship that we are able to develop so easily in this society where you have a, a little uh, infatuation, if you will, with someone for a period of weeks or months, but then it just kind of fades and disappears. We're talking about friends who stick fast for years, decades. How do you build those kinds of friendships? we have stumbled across a common problem in all of these studies through this series. And the problem is shallowness. We're simply forming friendships around things that are too shallow, and we're doing things to build friendships that really will only produce shallowness in our friendships, so that uh, instead of being like a deep well, a friendship is more like a puddle from yesterday's rain. The puddle is there for a little bit, but after a while it starts to shrink, it starts to get grimy, and you go back to that place after a couple of days and it's gone. It's just too shallow. And one of the other things that we're finding as we talk about this issue is that shallowness is hurting us. Our shallowness, where we have raised expectations for friendship, but we're not doing the things to build those friendships deeply. That because we're mixing these things up, we find ourselves betrayed, lied to, ignored, treated disrespectfully because our, our relationships are simply being built on things that are too shallow. Last week, in asking how do we build a godly friendship, we looked at our character uh, from, uh, I believe it was Proverbs 22, and uh, the verse really directing our attention to scoffing. And we, we pointed out the fact that so many friendships now are founded on having contempt for people who are not your friends. And the people that we can gather into our lives are people who share 
our political animosities, our cultural animosities, whatever it may be, we think like them, we aspire to the same kinds of things culturally, and so how do we spend our time as friends? Scoffing at all of the people who don't agree with us. This is a form of friendship that in its shallowness and in its mediocrity is killing us. And I would say categorically, shallowness in friendship is killing churches. Because it means that in order to gain friends, we wind up conforming to the people around us outwardly, we form friendships around activities instead of the things of God. We form friendships around status symbols or brands or entertainment, whatever it may be. And these things are simply too shallow for us to, to live off of relationally and uh, to feed ourselves spiritually. So we're going to look at another kind of character issue this morning and another species of shallowness. Last week, just as we saw, that we need to take the responsibility to say to the scoffing in our lives, whether it's coming from others in our lives or whether it's coming from ourselves, we need to take the responsibility to say, I'm done with this now. I'm moving on from the sarcasm and the contempt and the constant judgment. I'm going to drive this out of my life. And I'm going to start with my own character. And because I know that the scriptures tell me that when I drive the scoffer out, quarreling and abuse goes out. So we're talking here about taking responsibility for the relationships that we form and making that scary decision of saying, you know, some relationships actually will kill me, will poison my spirit and my mind. And so I am not going to be that needy person who will grasp at any relationship just to have a relationship. I'm going to be that person who's waiting upon the Lord, trusting God that if I do this His way, He's going to feed me through the relationships that I form. This is a difficult decision, and you're going to be faced with another one this morning. Our text is chapter 29, verse 5. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And our text is also a second proverb, chapter 27 and verse 6. One page or so back, 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We're going to look at these two proverbs and what they mean for building godly friendships. We're going to start with chapter 29 and verse 5, the trap of flattery. The proverb says, once again, a man who flatters his neighbor, or you could put into that, uh, because the, the word is a little ambiguous, a man who flatters his friend spreads a net for his feet. Uh, let's think together about this proverb. And uh, we want to begin with that word flattery. So much of relationship today is actually founded on flattery. Uh, if you're into social media, you're into this thing called likes. Or if you're on Facebook, you have reactions now. You can have more than likes. You can have uh, little emojis that say love or you know, somebody throwing a little party and it's not enough to have one of those, you got to have like 15. And then you've really communicated just how enthusiastic you are about the cream of broccoli soup that this person had for lunch. Love, 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 love broccoli. You know that's not true of me. This is a totally fictitious example. Um, so we're... we're on the society that both needs 
and gives flattery. So let's define this word. Flattery is giving the impression of love through constant praise. Flattery is giving the impression of love through constant praise. So if we think about what that means, it means there's this real thing called love. We know a lot about love and what love is from the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Love is sacrificial. Love is unconditional. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love is all of these things. Love is a very deep thing. Love is a profound action that we take toward each other. Love, biblically, is a choice that we make to go on doing loving actions toward each other even when it is difficult, even when we're in conflict, we're in disagreement, even when it hurts. So there is this depth and faithfulness to love that is just essential to life. We cannot live without love. Flattery, then, is giving the impression of love. So this is like somebody, if you've ever known anybody who does impressions, they sound just like Barack Obama or Donald Trump or whoever it is. They, they can imitate their voice and body language. You remember that uh, Tina Fey imitation of uh, Sarah Palin? It was a little bit eerie. Uh, it, it was actually disturbing how, how clearly she was able to imitate Sarah Palin. And so that's flattery. It gives the impression of love. Looks just like it. Sounds just like it in all the enthusiasm and the constant praise and encouragement. But is it love? No, it is not. Flattery in giving the impression of love without the depth and truth and faithfulness of love. Flattery is a lie. It's a con game. Flattery is um, it's a gambit, it's a game that we play in order to profit by it. It's a confidence scheme, quite literally. We'll develop this in, in more detail in a moment. So flattery in its untruth, in its constant wanting to make sure the other person knows, oh, I'm just all about what you are and who you are and you're just the most awesome ever and you're, you are all of these great things. That kind of flattering um, game playing is a lie because it means to give the impression of love whether the love is actually there or not. So let's think about this just a little bit more deeply. There was a, a person in my life a few years ago who uh, I came to see was a flatterer. If I gave a sermon, this, this man would come up to me and say, that was genius, that was brilliant what you did here or, or there. Um, I'm always kind of interested when someone, after a sermon, says something like that. Because what I'm hearing there is a statement that somehow I want my intelligence to be praised after a sermon. And so this guy, and it was, it was like, Every week, it was, it was constant, it was predictable, and it was over the top. And after a while of this, I just began to think, you know, I'm kind of doubting whether that sermon was all that great, actually, now, because this, <laughs> if that's what he came away with, that I am 
genius or brilliant or whatever word that he chose to use that particular week. It was usually one of those two. If that's what he came away with, maybe I didn't do my job. Maybe I did some other kind of job where I made myself look like something and instead of giving the word of God and he walks away thinking about who he is in relation to God, he's thinking about me instead. And so honestly, it would take uh, you know, six or seven people coming up to me and getting right to the point saying, what you said about this point how would that apply here? And is God really this way? I'm, I have this problem in my life and I want to see what God would say about that. From, it, it would take six or seven people with real issues to compensate for one flatterer to convince me that the sermon was actually any good. A flatterer has an agenda. And the agenda, the intent of flattery, and I'm going to do a, a kind of two-stage analysis of this. I'm going to give you the charitable analysis of flattery, and then I'm going to give you what is probably the true analysis of flattery. Charitable intention, a way to understand a flatterer's intention is simply that the flatterer wants to gain the confidence of the person he or she is flattering. We flatter people because we want them to know that we're on their team and we want them to like us, to believe in us. We want them to welcome us into their circle. We want their confidence. We want their trust. So here's an interesting thing about this. It could be that we are so needy of people's approval that we will say whatever it takes to get their confidence and get their approval so that we can know that we're really a good person, really a popular person, a cool person, a smart person, We'll make that person think that we love them so that they will return love to us. You see, there's a kind of deal-making, there's a game in that that is fundamentally against relationship. In a relationship that is healthy, do we play games like this? Or do we simply give? When I want to encourage someone... I'm going to tell them something as a gift. And I'm not really going to expect anything in return. But if I tell them something and my expectation is, you're going to trust me more. You're going to like me more. You're going to validate me more. You're going to believe what I say more. We'll talk about that in a moment. But if, if that is my need, then... I am lying in order to have my relational needs met and I'm making a little contract with the person. I'm going to stroke your ego here and then you're going to stroke mine. And that's how this works. So part of what we're saying here is that one of the reasons our, relationship is, our relationships are so shallow is that so often we're basing them on this game of flattery. Oh, you're amazing. And the flattery is such that if the flatterer does believe it, he's wrong. He's mistaken. And if he doesn't believe it, then he's a liar. So the guy coming up to me telling me that I'm a genius. What about that? If he actually believes that, he's wrong. If he actually believes that every single week I am delivering a genius, brilliant sermon, 
If he actually believes that, he's simply mistaken, because I'm not. And so part of my job is to stay objective about who I am and to know the job I'm doing and what it really should be valued at and what it's really for and not take my validation from what he's saying. Um, and so then there's the other possibility that he's, he's using these words, but he doesn't actually believe it. And if he's saying it and he doesn't believe it, but he wants me to think he does, he's a liar. And how's that relationship going to go? You see how this works? We end up building relationships on very flimsy foundations. And the problem is, when we build relationships this way, they go sideways on us badly. The proverb says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. There is an intention in flattery that we've described charitably as you're going to gain a person's confidence because you really need that validation. Maybe you're insecure or in an unfamiliar environment, so you really need someone to validate you, and so you flatter them, and you're asking them to flatter you back. But it's probably something deeper. Flattery is about power. It's about saying, I want you to believe what I say more than what you believe other people say. You know what that's an invitation to do? To be partial. And we don't like it when judges or politicians or inspectors are partial because that means they're favoring one person because of a relationship or a bribe or some other kind of corruption. This is one of the things we treasure about our God is He shows how much partiality? Zero. Zero. No partiality. And the, the flatterer is making an invitation to you, show me partiality, listen to me more, trust me more, believe what I say, give me more credence. Here's the problem with it. We really, if confidence should not ever be given on the basis of lies, should it? Even well-intentioned lies out of neediness. So if we give that confidence, we are making an unwise relationship. And if we accept the invitation to give partiality, if I give a special weight to what this person says, because I just know every week he's going to come up and he's going to call me a genius. If I give special weight to that person over what other people say, in my position, that's called corruption. And in my position, that means I am preaching and pastoring and leading to feed myself. If that is happening, we got big problems. So flattery here speaks to all the wrong motivations, all the wrong reasons for building relationships. And it's disguised as need. So uh, the impact of it, the proverb says, is to lay a trap. The man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Uh, when you spread a net, that means you want to catch something. You want somebody to wander into that net, and all of a sudden, they're trapped, and they can't get out and because they didn't see what was really there. Um, I think you'll probably, uh, you're, you're probably way ahead of me on this, that um, flatterers flip after a while. You're great. You're awesome. You're amazing for this long. 
But then there's, there's something that happens and all of a sudden, you're not amazing anymore. Now, you're actually a bad person. Now, you're actually um, a sort of uh, dastardly genius. You're, you're not the, the person you're supposed to be. And so the person who was flattering you reliably every week flips, and then they're your most reliable critic. And there's the trap there. Um, yeah, you wanted my approval. You like my approval so much? And I flattered you and you, you walked into that trap. Now, I've got you. Now, you will need my approval and I will stand here and I will criticize and nag and do whatever it takes to make sure you know that you do not have my approval. And so that's the way this works. That's one form of this. So flattery as a way of building friendships is absolutely disastrous. Because it means we're buying into lies. And we're disguising those lies with need. So remember last week we, we talked about the fact that at a certain point, each one of us has to take responsibility for the relationships in our life and say, I'm going to build, by the grace of God, a different kind of character into my life. So last week it was, in order to build godly friendships, I really need to drive out the scoffer in myself, and I need to draw a line. I need to draw a boundary in my behavior and conversation with other people that I'm not going to participate in that kind of scoffing because I know where this is going. This always leads to quarrels and abuse. Remember that? Who can draw those lines for you? Nobody. No one can draw those lines for you. No one can make that decision for you. That's why this is a character issue in the book of Proverbs. So when we're saying we want to build godly friendships, we start with our character. And in this case, we are going to start with a simple recognition. I use encouragement to gain confidence or power. And then I use criticism to make good on that power game that I am playing. I make sure that I control the person's thinking and actions based on this. If this is you this morning, then building godly friendships starts really at the cross. And we'll talk about this more in a, in a couple of minutes, saying, Lord, I'm doing this, and I'm not even fully sure why I'm doing this but I haven't been able to stop, and it's got a terrible track record. Maybe what you're saying is, Lord, I need that flattery, and I listen to anyone who gives it to me. I'll do whatever they say. I'm a sucker for this. I have fallen into this trap again and again and again. Your relationships can radically change. They can, and they will, as you face this character issue of saying, why do I need that? Why do I respond so deeply to that? Lord Jesus, help me to turn away from this pattern of behavior. Friendship goes back to character. Let's look at another example of this. Proverbs 27 Six. There's a legitimate way to gain trust, and it's not by becoming a scam artist like a flatterer. The legitimate way to gain trust is by consistent, true, straight, faithful behavior. So we look at this proverb and we begin basically uh, with the second line. Um, and the 
the, the way a flatterer works. In Proverbs 27, 6, the second line says, profuse. What does that word mean? Abundant, never-ending. This is the gift that keeps on giving. There's always more than enough. Profuse are what? The kisses of an enemy. That's that flatterer. You're always a genius. You're always amazing. And you're, you're always getting these loves on your posts and social media. Always. It's, it's absolutely consistent because you are so wonderful. And this proverb says profuse, abundant are the likes of an enemy. Are the loves, the smiley faces. Now, I want to be careful with what I'm saying here. Because there is real encouragement from these things. And that encouragement can be done in faithfulness. And so in putting things this way, or as Solomon does, in stigmatizing that kiss, the kisses of an enemy, in stigmatizing that, we're just saying, look deeper Don't just believe in a shallow way that all is well because you've got this profusion of love on Facebook or Instagram or whatever it may be. Look deeper. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I mean, our imagination just goes right to the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas. Judas was a flatterer par excellence. And uh, now here's the interesting thing. The Lord kept Judas on, kept him in his circle, but was never deceived by the flattery even once. It's not like the Lord fell for this. That means there's something else operating in the Lord in his approach to flatterers. And we're going to talk about this more in a moment. Nevertheless, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So we start with that flatterer who is saying things that are over the top that should not be believed, but we want to believe them because we need the flattery. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Look at the first line. This is very famous. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful. What does this word mean? At first, I thought this word was going to be uh, the word that is commonly used, uh, really iconically used, of the Lord. The Lord, the Lord, faithful and gracious, compassionate. The word faithful equals the word truth. The Lord is truth, The Lord is faithful, you are saying the same thing. And so this is the personal quality of God, of truthfulness. But to my surprise, that was not the word used here. Rather, the word means something like proven, verified, believable. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? That means that there's a larger pattern that Solomon has before his eyes here, a longer timeline, not just that moment where your friend says something hurtful to you and you can't believe that your friend would say this to you or think about you in this way or treat you in this way. You just can't, it boggles your mind that your friend would do this, but there's that larger, longer record. And that longer record is Proven, verifiable faithfulness. So that the wound at that moment is not a wound done out of malice, selfishness, anger, or any of those things. It's a wound that flows out of that faithfulness. In other words, this is saying... You should evaluate 
the faithfulness and character and truthfulness of the people you bring into your life. Now, when I say that, we're kind of like uh, walking on eggshells around that because I'm not supposed to judge people. People do wrong things. I do wrong things. I don't keep all my promises. I don't do everything that I... I don't say everything correctly. So why should I judge another person? Well, Solomon would turn that around and say, why don't you keep your promises? Why don't you speak accurately? Why do you exaggerate for effect? Uh, why do you... Uh, as we just talked about flattery. Why do you, why do, you do that? We know why we need to receive it, but why do you part participate in that flattery? So Solomon, he's kind of a hard-nosed guy. He, he just really doesn't care about our excuses. He says, if you don't do things truthfully, if you don't keep your promises, why not? And that's pretty much all we get from Solomon. And uh, I don't say that's all we get because the other thing that we get is from Solomon Proverbs chapter 8, where Solomon is saying, I've got a God who will teach you faithfulness. I've got a God, and that God is the creator of the universe, who will walk you through the process of keeping your promises, who will walk you through the, promise, the, the process of becoming a faithful, proven person. So you, we really are out of excuses. It would be one thing if Solomon were standing back and saying, well, you did it wrong, so you're out of the game. You're in exile now permanently, but that's not his position. He's saying, I can get you back in the game. I can get you a coach who will help you learn this. It's the coach who taught this to me, and you can learn it too. So we're kind of out of excuses. So we are indeed talking about making an evaluation of the character of the people around us and the people we trust and the people we listen to. And just so we're clear, I am saying, one, you have the right to make this evaluation. You are not being a hard-nosed, ungracious, terrible person for looking at the pattern of life of the people in your life and saying, this does not add up and I am not going to keep acting as if this adds up. You're not a terrible person for making that kind of evaluation. You have a right to make that evaluation. You have a right to do it because we all have the responsibility to each other to be faithful and true and to demonstrate that faithfulness over time. We have a right to expect that people are going to be comfortable evaluating that. You, you should know that I am completely comfortable with your coming to this church and evaluating me for my faithfulness, faithfulness to my word. You have the right to do that. You'd be very foolish not to. And so you should use that right, and one of the things that you should look for in trustworthiness is whether the person is comfortable being evaluated on that basis. If they're not, why not? Why would it be that I would not be comfortable being, having my feet held to the fire saying, you said this, but it actually turned out this way. Why wouldn't I be comfortable with that? There's only one reason. Because I know that I didn't tell the truth, didn't keep my promise, or whatever it may be. So you're, the first thing I'm saying here is you have a right to make this evaluation. Uh, another way to put this would be don't listen to the people who expect to be trusted as an act of grace. Trust is not given 
by grace, trust is earned. Grace is given by grace. Trust is earned because of the grace of God. But it is still a track record that we earn over time with each other. And if we try to think about this any other way, you know what we're saying? We're holding out, we're putting a big sign on our back and it's neon and we've got batteries in our pocket and it's flashing saying, manipulate me, manipulate me, come on over. I am the biggest sucker you've ever seen. We've got to get real about this and we've got to take command of our relationships. And so I'm saying, you have the right to make that evaluation. The second thing I'm saying is even stronger. You have the duty to do it before God, before this community. If we're going to go around saying that God's grace is good and our God is faithful and true, we have a duty to watch our relationships and say, is there faithfulness here? Now, if there's not, does that mean we cut people off? No. It just means we start rebuilding trust or building trust from where where it is at that point. This is not saying that we judge people in the sense that we cut them off, never talk to them again. We're just saying we need to make that evaluation. It's part of wise living. And the main reason we find ourselves back in one unhealthy relationship after another is because we think we don't have the right to make that evaluation or we think that God has given us actually the duty of not making that evaluation. It is our duty to be open-minded about everything that everyone says to us. Beloved, you can't live that way. And God's wisdom does not call you to live that way. There are traps that way. And so this evaluation is something you have the right to make and should, as a matter of duty, make. Standing on the grace of God. We'll talk about that more in a moment. I keep promising you that I'm going to talk about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We'll see whether I keep that promise. So the third thing that I would say about this is these are wounds Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of a friend are kind of out in the open. It's not a stab in the back. You kind of see it coming. It's straight up. And if and when that clash happens... That conflict happens. It's happening in the context of proven faithfulness over time, verified. This person is trustworthy. This person would not say this to me out of malice, anger, selfishness. This person is on my team. And so even though this is a blow to hear this or to receive this from this person, I am going to receive this blow and I'm going to trust that person because... They've earned it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. This word wound is actually not used very often in the scriptures. This is one of the few times it is used. Uh, It is associated with chastisement. Turn with me a few pages to Isaiah 1.6. Just a quick example of this. Here is God talking to Israel in Isaiah 1.6. Let's pick it up at verse 4. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Quick question, does God trust Israel here? No, not at all. Is God going to be 
ungracious, unforgiving, hard-hearted toward Israel here? No. So he doesn't trust them and he's going to be gracious. This is how God works. So this is the way he proceeds here. Why will you continue? Why will you be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. Look at yourself. Look at what has happened to you. Look at what's going on in your life at, at this road that you have taken. Look at it. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. Wounding like this is associated with chastisement, with punishment. Um, this is the kind of wounding that was done to the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Jesus was bruised, wounded for our transgressions. So Solomon, back in chapter 27, verse 6, what he's saying is something like, when your friend bruises your ego, when he's saying something to you or she is saying something to you that is hard to say and hard to hear, and when she's got that record of faithfulness back there, don't you need to listen to that? Or are you going to run off to the people who love you on Facebook? Are you going to go, flatter me some more. Kiss me some more, Judas. Just feels so good. But not listen to the person who deeply is committed to you. Um, how do you build friendship in a godly way? We look at our character and we say, you know, I am needy for cheap, shallow flattery. I'm addicted to it, and I need to go off it. I need to live a different kind of life. I need to stop giving it, and I need to stop receiving it. One of my early experiences in college was being part of a search for a new professor this professor was to be a composer in residence. And so the search went out and uh, I was a young composer who had written some things. And uh, that search committee got some pretty impressive res resumes. One of the people on the short list uh, and all the, all the people on the short list for that position came to campus, and my role in that search committee was to be the student that they gave a lesson in composition to. So I would bring a composition into that lesson, and they would critique it and, and teach me something. So the first person up was a very important American composer from New York. And she came in late, like, egregiously late, like everybody's sitting there looking at their watches late. Sweeps in, and um, I play the piece for her, and she's very complimentary. Asks me about my interests. Oh, this is wonderful music that you've written here. This is just fantastic. Who are your favorite composers? And then we start we start with the name-dropping thing. At that time, one of my favorite composers was an English composer, so I named him, and, and she said, Oh, Andre would just love you. Speaking of Andre Previn, the very important American conductor. And so we're name-dropping. We're just, we're just flattering up one side and down the other. I didn't learn a thing. So she's there to interview to be a professor to teach composition. I didn't learn anything. Just had a very nice chat that was cut short because she was so late. The next candidate came in. There were, I think, five of them. Almost all of them were very nice except one. Played my piece for the guy. 
And he proceeded over the next hour to absolutely tear it to shreds. What are you doing? Don't you realize? He would, he would play, you've, you've got an opportunity here to reharmonize this thing. You could do this differently. You could do this differently. And what is this? What is this passage here? This isn't going anywhere. And it absolutely tore it to shreds. You want to know who I recommended? That guy. Because I learned something from that. And um, it, it was very interesting. He's the one who got the job, not because of my recommendation, but uh, maybe that was part of it, but uh, he's still there. And he's been teaching composers because he's passionate about teaching composers to do good work. You don't get to good work through flattery. Okay? Question. How open are you to faithful wounds? I would just encourage you, be open to that. Let's turn to John 21. I promised you we would talk about the grace of God. Here we are. You know the story. Peter has denied Jesus. Peter, chapter 21 of John, has said, I'm going fishing, and he didn't mean for recreation. He meant, I'm out of here. I don't belong here. I'm not, not going to be part of this thing anymore. He's not going to accept me, because I denied him. So I'm going back to my job. Guy's got to live. And so Jesus comes to him and the other disciples while he is fishing, and they're plying their trade, and Jesus' message is, oh no, no, this is not over. Jesus does something very hurtful to Peter. He wounds him, but that wound is redemptive. Look at verse 15. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him, the third time, you know this passage, you know there's a word change here. Jesus is asking, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with sacrificial love? And Peter has replied the first two times, you know that I phileo you, I love you with brotherly affection. The third time, Jesus said to him, Do you phileo me? Do you think I'm a good guy, Peter? Do you have a lot of affection for me? And Peter, verse 17, was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? In other words, Jesus put his finger here three times on the central issue why Peter betrayed him, why he was unfaithful to him. Question, does Jesus fully trust Peter at this moment? No. Is he going to be gracious to Peter? And is, is he going to rebuild that trust with him? Yes. And he's going to teach Peter how this works in an actual relationship with him. So this is limited. It is not angry. It is not abusive. It is not insulting. It is wounding. And it's redemptive. 
So Jesus does this, this kind of wound to Peter, but it is also restorative. The thing that, P, that Jesus does not do is withhold relationship from Peter. He doesn't withdraw from Peter. Peter withdraws from Jesus. Jesus goes to the seashore where Peter has decided to go back to his old life and he gets him off the boat again, supplies the fish, cooks breakfast for them. They have breakfast. What is this? This is fellowship. This is relationship. And then he wounds him. What is Jesus doing here he is showing Peter, I am for you, not against you. But we have business to transact, don't we? Here's what I would say about this. You want to build godly friendships? Are you wrestling today with that need for flattery or the insecurity that gives flattery? You're wrestling with this. Then what you need is Jesus. You need a friend will stick closer than a brother. You need the friend who died for you. You need the friend who died for you when you were completely untrustworthy. You need the friend who knows what you are capable of and the blackness of our hearts. He knows all of that and is not surprised by any of it, but faithfully tends to us, ministers to us, and brings us back. And when you see that friend at work, you know what you've got? You've got the grace of God at work in your life and in your heart. You know what you start to give out to the rest of your friends instead of flattery? Grace, truth, faithfulness. Why? Because you're so great? No, we already established we're not so great. Because God has been gracious to us. You need Jesus to build godly friendships. Because Jesus transforms our character. And He is safe in doing that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are the God of Proverbs 8 who invites us to listen. You are the God of John 21 who came uninvited and asserted your grace and your truth in the life of Peter who betrayed you. And you are the same one who is doing business with us this morning. First of all, Lord, if there is someone here who does not know you and they've come to the conclusion I need Jesus. That's exactly what I need in my character. Or else I'm just going to keep reproducing all of these poor decisions in my life. If you're that person, would you pray with me something like these words? Jesus, you died for me. Would you forgive me for being a flatterer and desiring flattery? Would you forgive me for the things that I have done? Not just on this issue, but many others. And having forgiven me, would you come and live in me? Would you give me your Holy Spirit and teach me how to follow your wisdom? And I will give you all the glory. I will live for you. And I will call you Savior. If you have just prayed that way, know this, that the Lord of the universe and the creator of all things is your God now. And he has promised that he will teach, train, restore, redeem, and cleanse. He will also heal. Your job today is simply to believe those promises and follow Him wherever He leads and build that record of faithfulness with Him. See how faithful He is. Lord, for those of us who know You but have been building shallow friendships, we ask that You would transform us.
Give us wisdom. Help us to look deeper into our lives. And as you lead us, we pray that you would do a work in our relationships, even right here in this room, that would be a marvelous testimony to your grace and power. Show us what you can do, and we will give you the glory. We pray it all in your name and all God's people said, amen. I'm not seeing any questions at this point, uh, so I'm going to call, uh, it looks like we've, we've got one here. Okay, so you got a little time. No? Okay, we're, we've, we've got some things coming in. Oh, wow, we're, we're really lighting up here. So we're going to take some time to uh, answer some questions. If you need to leave, this is a good moment to slip out. We all understand. Um, so, um, <laughs> solid sermon. Overall, seven to eight. I can live with that, actually. That, that, that's pretty darn good. Uh, we are attracted to the Bible, <laughs> partly because it shows us who we are in, in its true light. Uh, don't we want Christian friends who are need, in need of correction in Jesus? Um, do we want friends who are in need of correction? Yes, we do. The decision in building godly friendships is about trust. How much are we going to trust the people around us? And our job is simply to build the trust from where it is. If the trust is low and this person is in our lives, well, by the grace of God, let's build from low trust. And let's build faithfulness on that. If this person is a high trust person, but they've uh, failed us, um, then let's build on that as well. Um, so we, sh we should be surrounded, we are surrounded with people who need correction, and we are those people. So uh, let's be open to that. Um, let's see here. Somebody's phone is, is kind of uh, playing very spacey <laughs> music there. It's, it's nice, but... Uh, um, when does a compliment turn into flattery? Uh, very good question. Um, it's kind of hard to know. I mean, you can't really measure it, can you? Um, it's not like you're on a scale of, of 1 to 10. This was, uh, you know, 75% flattery, 25% truth. Um, it doesn't really work like that. I would start by saying where... Is what is my intention in making this compliment? And the compliment that I'm making, is this true? I mean, the way I'm saying this, is, is this actually true? I think the more specific you are in a compliment, uh, the more powerful it is, the more general and broad and over the top you are, the less powerful it is. So I think a good way to encourage people is just to, to give out very specific um, compliments to say this about what you did was really good. Thank you for doing that. And just give it. And the heart that gives that compliment without any expectation of um, power, confidence, influence, whatever it may be, that's the heart you're going for. It's not the compliment itself. Um, there's always that mixture of truth and untruth. A uh, little scripture here. The rich young ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Jesus' response to flattery. What's interesting in this case is, it was true. <laughs> Jesus is good because He is God. But the way it was intended was flattery. So what did Jesus respond to? Why do you call me good? What's up with that? You know what goodness is. You know who is good and who isn't. If you're saying I'm good, 
Aren't you saying I'm God? So why don't we start there? If you're asking me how to get into my kingdom, you see what he's doing. He's just saying, look, you're not entering an inner circle here. I am my own inner circle because I'm the king. So get down on your knees and treat me like a king. Uh, it's, it's a fascinating moment and a very important one. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. Uh, does friendship then consist mainly of criticism? <laughs> how, do you, how do you know your criticism is actually loving and faithful? I, I can go back to um, the, the person who flipped on me, uh, who went from I'm a genius to um, you're not loving, you're not good, you don't pray enough, you don't do this enough. So that person, um, the fact is, um, he quoted the verse that uh, we studied this morning. You know, wounds of a friend are, are faithful. Um, and I believed it. I believed him. And here's what's interesting about it. Um, he made me a better preacher. He made me a better pastor because I stole all his stuff. All that criticism, I just pocketed it, and the Lord used it in my life. Um, but you do reach a point where you see this is not the faithful wounds of a friend because faithfulness does not come with lies, faithfulness does not come with backbiting, doesn't come with gossip and slander and all of these other kinds of things that were happening at the same time. So, um, in answer to this question, I would say, no, friendship is not mainly criticism. The proverb, really, is just saying, look, the wounds of a friend are so much better than the kisses of an enemy. Quit looking at things in a shallow way, look deeper. And so, it is not justifying us to just basically saying, well, I'm your friend, so that means... I've, your target practice. Uh, that's, that's not how this works. <laughs> because it's not faithful. And the wounds of a friend are faithful. Very good questions. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all of these issues call us to wisdom. We need your wisdom. We need discernment. And so we ask you for it. We pray you would lead us and lead us into faithfulness together. We ask you to do this in your name and for your glory and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.